Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Hey man, okay, we're starting a new series today called Nickajack. It is just two weeks long, so we usually do longer ones, but this is just a little quick in and out two-week series. I'm actually going to talk quite a bit about some history stuff in East Tennessee, which is, I mean, our anchor, of course, is scripture and always has been, always will be. Um, And we're going to anchor in that uh, for this series as well. But also, and this sort of weird and different for us to do this, but we're going to focus in on uh, some history for East Tennessee this week and next. And I I think our church is weird and different, so it's okay that we do that for a couple of weeks. Um, But let me start here with uh, Jeremiah chapter 9. These three verses we're we're just going to keep coming back to over the next couple of weeks and hopefully think on together. Here we go, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Does he have your attention now? (laughs) That should get your attention. Okay. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in those things. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's a big stamp on a statement. That's a stamp of approval. I've spoken, yes. Then he adds this verse 25, interesting placement. A time is coming, says the Lord, when I will punish all of those who are circumcised in body, but not in spirit. So he says, I'm the king of glory. There are these things that we tend to boast in, that we tend to put our pride in. That's kind of silly. This is what the king of glory cares about. This is what I value. And then he just adds this verse that goes, a time's coming when I'm going to separate between the people who have, general, who have genuinely and sincerely surrendered to my values and separate those from those who have just done religious externalities. That's that weird sentence about the time is coming, I'll punish those who are circumcised in body but not in spirit. It's like people who have done the outward religious stuff but the inner work hasn't occurred yet. It's like it's, it's not going to go well for those folks. So it's a call to reflection, see where we're at really challenge our sincerity, the depth of it. That's where we're headed. Oh, so we're going to turn the clock back here. Like I said, we'll do a little bit of history stuff. We're going to go back uh, like 160, 180 years in that sort of uh, time frame, which uh, is, was a really weird, tumultuous, difficult time in our country. That was the lead up to the Civil War. And it was messy and it was contentious and it was filled with tension and vitriol and and people were choosing sides you know people you got to pick one way or the other people were choosing it was really messy okay um and then that was true here in Tennessee and East Tennessee in particular that was entirely true it was messy and difficult here as well in our state um I'll show you a picture of our our state flag this is the I know 
probably at this point, most of you aren't from here. So this might be new information to you, but that is a Tennessee flag. You live in Tennessee now, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And you, you may or may not know this, but uh, those, those three stars uh, symbolize the three grand divisions of Tennessee, which is East Tennessee, Central Tennessee, and West Tennessee. And if you spent some time in different places in the state, then you know that we are kind of three states in one. They're different. Each section, they really are grand divisions. And, and each kind of has sort of different cultural dynamics, um, different demographics, different topography even, different political values, different economic drivers that move things forward. And that's true now. And that was true then as well in the lead up to the Civil War. Important to know. Anyway, um, when it came time to choose up sides in the coming Civil War, most folks wanted to stay out of it, especially around here in East Tennessee. Most people were like, mm, I just don't want that. So just which side? No, I don't want to do that. Um, but the thing is, it wasn't really an option in East Tennessee because East Tennessee with lots of bridges and lots of waterways was very much, from a military standpoint, was very much the gateway to the South, which meant that much of this war that we didn't want was going to be fought in our literal backyards. And so staying neutral wasn't really much of an option. And then for Tennessee, it, it came time to put it to a vote. That's how they did it, a, a, a popular vote. And when that vote came along, uh, most of the people in East Tennessee wanted to side with the union. Now, actually, here in Blount County, 81% of residents voted to stay with the union. That's a very high number. I don't think we agree 81% of us on anything today. Like, that's really remarkable. 81% majority said, more than four out of five said, no, we want to stay with the union. But most of Central and West Tennessee wanted to join the Confederacy. Again, different cultural drivers, different economic forces at play, etc. So, majority rules, okay? So, Tennessee seceded from the Union. And that, you have to be a historian to know that, that was a, that was a really big moment. Now, as you may or may not know, um, I'm, I'm from here. And, but there's from here and then there's from here. I'm Dagummit, I'm, I am from here. <laughs> like, I'm really from here. Deep, deep roots, all, many, many generations, both sides. Mom's side, dad's side, the Halls, the Garlands, the Hembrys, the McCarters. We're all from here and way back to, okay? So some of these stories, really, they feel like my stories. Some of them kind of are my stories, um, so I'm going to tell you one of my stories, one of our stories from, from my family. Um, and uh, this is the story of how my great, 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 great grandfather, Alfred Hembry, ended up fighting for the Union. All right. So that's the story. Now, I'll tell you in advance, this is kind of an incredible story. And you're going to hear it and be tempted to think that it is either made up or exaggerated. Uh, but I want you to know. Uh, this story was very carefully compiled and corroborated uh, from multiple sources by my dad, who wrote it all down very clearly to sort of protect the history of this story. So if it seems exaggerated to you, you want to you call my dad a liar? Is that what's happening? He's in the room. Say it to his face. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. You didn't pick a fight. I'm just playing. But believe it or not, 
This is actually like a confirmed, legit, it actually happened, not exaggerated uh, story. Uh, and if you're curious, uh, there's more details to the story than I can give here uh, in your sermon notes, uh, which is on the app. You should get the app. You can uh, click on a PDF that is actually what my dad wrote and compiled for us to sort of protect the story. This happened in Hembry Holler. And uh, Hembry Holler is still there. It's still called Hembry. It's, I mean, it says Hembry Hollow, but that's not how you say it. It's Hembry Holler. Um, and it's, it's just off Wares Valley Road. It's right here in Blount County. And um, it was 1863. Alfred Hembry, again, my great-great-great-great-grandfather, lived in a small home with his wife, Lucy. They had three kids. They were all boys, 12, 7, and 3. And at the time, Lucy was pregnant with what would be a girl, uh, Louise. And um, so that was, that was their home. And then also living with them uh, was Nancy. That was an, an aunt to the children. And uh, interesting, she was almost totally blind, which is an important part of the story. So she helped take care of them, and they helped take care of her, how, how those things go. Alfred was a farmer, and Lucy was a midwife. Uh, so she would often be moving around the area um, helping deliver babies and stuff. All right. So while that was going on, there was a group of vigilantes that had formed in the area. Uh, they were called the White Caps. They were extreme, filthy, exaggerated racists. Um, and they were, as you might have guessed by the name, White Caps. They were a precursor to the KKK and a very extreme version of that. And uh, they'd had some run-ins with the White Caps in Hembry Hollow because they were trying to force Alfred to fight for the Confederacy. And he had refused to do that every step along the way. So that's a bit more context. Anyway, late one night, a black man from a nearby community comes and knocks on their door. His wife apparently was really struggling in childbirth, and they were asking Lucy to come and deliver the baby. And of course, Lucy went in the middle of the night and delivered the child. A few days later, the Whitecaps found out that Lucy had delivered a black baby. They were not pleased with that at all. So they got together and formulated a plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to raid the home, and we are going to accomplish two goals. Number one, we want to punish Lucy. Let's send her a message. And number two, we're going to force Alfred to fight for the Confederate Army. That was their plan. So anyway, they put on their stupid, cowardly white hoods and crashed the house. Uh, Lucy answered the door, so they pistol-whipped her and knocked her unconscious on the spot, pregnant on the ground, bleeding. So one mission accomplished, send Lucy a message. Second mission was about getting Alfred to fight for the Confederacy. Turns out Alfred's not home. They're trying to figure out what to do because they want to, they really want to accomplish their objectives. Real goal-driven, these fellas. Um, so they grabbed John D. John D was the oldest of their three boys. He was 12 years old. So they grabbed John D and they said, you tell us where your dad is or we're going to take you out to the barn and hang you dead. And he said, I refuse to tell you where my dad is. When my dad told me this story, I interrupted him and I was like, dad, I'd draw him a map. Uh, that's incredible. That is one brave, stubborn kid. So he refused. And so they went out to the barn, put a noose around his neck threw it over the rafter and pulled. And they hung John D, his feet kicking. 
and they hang him until he's just about to black out. And then they drop him to the ground. They grab him again and said, son, tell us where your dad is. He said, I'm not going to tell you anything. So they pulled the rope again, hung him a second time, waited till he was about to black out, dropped him to the ground again and said, tell us now where your dad is. Again, he refused. So this time they strung him up, tied him off, set fire to the house, set fire to the barn. Now, I'll pause there real quick because some of you look really nervous. Let me just, and you should be because at this point in the story, there's a 12-year-old hanging from a rafter in a barn that's on fire, John D. Just, John D. is my great, great, great grandfather. And I'm here. So he lives, okay? Deep breath, let me cut the tension for you. He lives. Well, how does that happen? Here's what happens. In runs, cape flapping in the wind, blind Aunt Nancy. She runs into the barn aflames, you know, everywhere, and grabs John D. by the legs, holds him up so that he can breathe, and starts screaming bloody murder until Lucy gains consciousness. Mom. Mom regains consciousness. She comes running out to the barn. She holds now John D's legs while Nancy goes to untie the knot. Nancy's running to untie the knot. Lucy, who has a head wound, is probably concussed, is pregnant, holding on to her kid, trying to keep him alive. As they're riding off, one of the white caps sees this happening, reaches to, into their bag, throws a tomahawk, because it was the 1860s and people had tomahawks, throws a tomahawk, hits Lucy in the elbow, shatters the bones. She doesn't let go. They finally get John, um, Nancy finally unties the knot. They get him loose. And just before the barn collapses, they make their way out. Now, that's a story. Would you agree? That's, that's one heck of a story. Um, it's not over. The story's, the story's basically over, but um, I cannot resist telling you this last part. But I feel duty-bound, before I tell you this last part, as your pastor, I feel duty-bound to tell you that, like, this next part is not informative, as in, like, don't do this part. When we get there, don't go, oh, that's a great idea. So if you ever find yourself in a similar situation, <laughs> if you ever find yourself, don't do this part, okay? I need verbal confirmation. Deal? Okay, cool. Okay. So Alfred comes home and see, here's what he finds. And he's not pleased with what has happened at all. And he's saying and doing the things that people do when they find out that people have done horrible things like that to their family. So mid-rant, blind Aunt Nancy, cape still flapping in the wind, chimes in and says, you know, Alfred, I'm blind, so... I recognize people by their voices, which means the white caps didn't hide anything from me. In other words, I know the names of all the men who did this. And so my great, 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 great Papa Alfred went to each of their homes, knocked on their door, asked for them by name and shot them dead on the spot. <laughs> Don't do that. You agree, I got a verbal agreement. It's on the recording. You don't do that. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. But it's kind of part of the story. And then this is kind of the best part. Then he went and fought for the union. 
I, I don't know if he did it for moral reasons or just to spite those men. I, I don't know. But then he went and fought. That's how my great, 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 great grandfather, Alfred Henry, ended up fighting for the Union. And the reason why I tell that story was really two reasons. Number one, if you have a story like that, you want to tell it. And number two, the war, the lead up to the war, had a way of, of, of forcing people to choose their allegiance one way or the other. You got, you got shoved in the one camp or the other. And, and stories like that one, as, as wild and far-fetched as that sounds, the fact is things like that were happening all the time. And sometimes it, with some things you can sort of lay low and you can sit out the conflict and you can sort of opt out of the mess, but sometimes it's in your own backyard and you don't have the luxury. Sometimes staying neutral isn't an option. And this was one of those times. Uh, this was something C.S. Lewis said. Um, this was one of those times for choosing. It was a time for choosing. More on that in a minute. But anyway, a um, little more history. We, we talked about um, how Tennessee seceded from the Union. Well, when that happened, East Tennessee, which didn't agree with that decision, um, rather than staying aligned with the rest of Tennessee, which they were morally opposed to doing, East Tennessee, along with some like-minded folks from northern Alabama, banded together to form the state of Nickajack, loyal to the Union. It's interesting, right? In summary, it's kind of where my mind goes, when, when Tennessee seceded from the Union, East Tennessee seceded from Tennessee. It was, it was a rebellion against the rebellion because it was time for choosing. It's just time to choose. Now, before I continue here and hopefully, hopefully land the plane, we'll see. Um, let me first tell you what this is not so that nobody gets it twisted, all right? I want to be very clear about this. Don't miss it. This is not some kind of a Christian call to arms right now where I, where I fire you up to go and fight for Jesus and then you run out of here and attack people who don't agree with you. That ain't it, okay? So don't let your minds go there. It's not political in any way. Don't let your minds go there either. That's not what this is about. Don't get it twisted. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Say it with me. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's so good to hear. I'm glad you agree. Now, it, I, I can't, it's baffling to me that that verse even needs to be in the Bible. Our king is Jesus. What did he do? He laid down his life. We we're just singing about it. He did it. He laid down his life to rescue us. He didn't take the life of others. He's the Lamb of God, slain to take away the sins of this world. And how people anywhere, anytime get the idea that following him means attacking the people he died to rescue will never make any sense to me ever. It's not what it means to follow Jesus, ever. But what does it mean to follow him? And I mean that in the broadest sense. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because when we pull the camera way back, I think we can see that people have really radically divergent ideas about what it means to follow Jesus. So I want to explain something to you. And I, and I, I want you to listen very closely because as, as I explain this, you might think, oh, that's just nuance or that's just semantics. And it's really not. What I'm about to explain, I think is critical uh, for us to understand whether or not our faith is even valid. All right? Okay, 
Here it is. For some folks, becoming a Christian goes like this. You receive the forgiveness and the salvation that Jesus offers to us. And in return, you live for him. Guys, that ain't it. It's not, it's not it. Some of you are going, dude, I've been in church for 40 years. I have a 37-pound Bible. That sounds right to me. Like, what do you, what do you mean that's, that's not it? <laughs> What's wrong about that? Actually, actually, it's really simple. And again, it's not just nuance. It's not just semantics. It actually really matters. So lean in. Jesus isn't the king because he offers us salvation. He can offer us salvation because he's the king. It's not he saves and therefore he's king. It's he's king and therefore he can save. And so the equation is not receive salvation and then bend your knee. Instead, it is bend your knee and in turn receive salvation. You enter a kingdom by surrendering to a king and then you receive the benefits of that kingdom. And you might go, what are you just, why, what's the difference? Like it happens at the same time. So why does that even matter? And why is that? It matters so much. Here's why. Because if that's, if that's your route to receive salvation and therefore I'll live for him, that means his kingship, therefore, becomes just a byproduct of the fact that he's your savior. And then if that's the case, you might end up like a whole lot of folks who happily choose the salvation part of life with Jesus, but kick back hard when the king of glory tells them how to live their lives. So he goes, you're my savior. And Jesus says, yes, I am. Now, submit to me in your every decision, in your demeanor, in your lifestyle, with your money, with your body, in everything. Follow me. And people go, wait, wait, what? No, I don't think so. No, no, no. I, I just picked heaven over hell. Okay, guys, lean in right now. Becoming a Christian is not about choosing life over death or salvation over condemnation or forgiveness over guilt or heaven over hell. Guys, that's all so, it's, it's so obvious. <laughs> Who wouldn't absolutely always choose those things every time always? It's, that's really not the choice. That's not the choice. Here, here's where my mind goes because I have a weird mind. Um, my mind goes to uh, a showcase showdown on The Price is Right. So you go to The Price is Right. Your name gets called. You dance like a lunatic. And then you run up there and you stand behind your thing. And you, and you got in early enough so that you got to go last. Because the person in last is almost always the one who wins. Because they get to say a dollar. I just want to say one dollar and be like, look out. Okay. Anyway. So, so you win and you did the bidding thing and you did your game and you did fine. And then it was time to spin the wheel and you nailed it. You on your first time, you get a one, you get $1. So that means not only do you go to the showcase showdown, but you get the first pick. And they go, you see the showcase and Bob Barker is standing there. And I know it's Drew now, but it'll always be Bob in my mind. And he's, and he's standing there with his weird microphone and he's saying, all right, here's your two showcase showdowns. You get to choose. Number one, we have death, hell, guilt, shame, fear, condemnation. And in number two, we have eternal life, heaven, 
joy unspeakable, freedom, forgiveness, and redemption. Which will you choose? And you're like, I don't know. I can't decide. The crowd's screaming, you idiot. Choose number two. What is wrong with you? I was like, I don't know, Bob. I don't know. You know what? You only live once. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with showcase number two. I'm going to go show. You sure? You sure? You sure that you choose eternal life, heaven, joy, unspeakable, freedom, forgiveness, and redemption over death, hell, guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation? It's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure, Bob. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, guys, that's not the choice. That's not the choice. That's not the decision that's ultimately in front of us. The choice is about who you will serve. The choice is about where you will place your ultimate allegiance. Now, who has final say in your life? It's about whether or not you will bow your knee to the king of glory. And listen, if you, if you have chosen Jesus to be your savior, but not to be the Lord of your life, then look, and look, I, I'm, not, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to scare anybody. That's not what I'm shooting for. I'm just trying to be as clear as possible. I'm trying to be as clear as scripture is. If you have chosen to accept his salvation and to reject his authority, then that means you've chosen not to follow Jesus. That's what that means. Again, you enter a kingdom by submitting to a king. And the Bible has no concept whatsoever of salvation without surrender. It's just not a thing. So look, if you haven't already, if you've kind of been playing the religious game, man, now's the time for choosing. Now's the time. And I also want to point out, speaking about this time, I think there's some, I don't want to draw any false parallels here, so I'm painting with the broadest of strokes, but I think there's some real parallels between um, what we're experiencing in our context now, um, the fear, the angst, the growing frustration, the um, calcifying of positions, and the anger and swirl that goes around with it, that I think is not entirely dissimilar from what happened in East Tennessee in the lead up to the Civil War. We're just like, all right, look, let's go. It's getting extreme. It's getting intense. People are choosing sides. And there's this, grow, again, growing angst, uncertainty. There's this looming dread in our context. People are going, man, what's, what's next? Now, so that went like that, and now it's an election year, and now, like, what's, what's happening next? There's this sort of sense of dread. Kind of like there was then in the lead up to something difficult. Anyway, in our context, I've talked about this a lot, so I'll just say it quickly. It's crowding out nominalism, which is to say nominal Christianity, where you follow Jesus because why not? And it's in the family and whatever. It'll make grandma happy. I'll, whatever. I'll do some, some religious externalities. I'll do some stuff. Like All of a sudden, that doesn't make any sense at all anymore. And so what that means is this, the stage is now set for the true people of God to emerge and to rebel against the rebellion, to establish our own nickajack, to say, I, I, don't, I don't care what the masses are doing. I don't care where the crowds 
are headed. Jesus is my king and I'm following him in everything, no matter what, whether he's going with or against the grain of broader society. I'm a child of God first and foremost. And people who then refuse to depart from the way of Jesus. People who insist, regardless of how cranked up people around them are becoming, people who insist on, no, I go the way of Jesus. I will be kind. I will be loving. I will extend mercy. I will do the work of reconciliation. I will declare the beauty of our king. What's happening, some people are just rejecting Jesus outright because, you know, oh, this is problematic and we think that's problematic. And other people are just trying to water him down so that it won't offend people quite as much as before. We choose neither. We choose neither. We choose instead to walk with him in obedience to him and surrender to him in everything. So what? What I'm saying is, I think to some degree, I don't want to overstate it. Maybe I am. I don't know. But to some degree, we're at a we're at a crossroads. And crossroads are the place for choosing. I'll go this way or that way. Uh, in we read Jeremiah earlier uh, from chapter nine, in chapter six, Jeremiah talks about a crossroad. He said, "This, this is what the Lord says. Should have your attention. Stand at the crossroads and look." Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. Look at this. But you said, we will not walk in it. You see, the choice wasn't about whether or not they wanted rest for their souls. Everybody wants rest for their souls. The choice was about whether or not they would surrender to the way of their king and walk in it. And some people go, yeah, I'm on board. I'll go where you send me. The answer is yes before you ask. And there's some people who go, no, I'm not going to walk in it. So it's, uh, it's, now's the time for choosing, I think. I keep referencing that C.S. Lewis quote. I'll just read it to you now. Uh, and the band can come on up. I'm about done. <clears throat> he writes this. I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it's the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play's over. But what is the good of saying you're on his side then? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something that never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. There's no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we've really chosen whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. Now look, I've got, I've got a lot more to say um, next week about Nickajack. I wanna talk about, I'm so excited uh, about it actually, Our very special heritage here in East Tennessee. Like God started something beautiful on this soil. And I think there's a, there's a legacy there to reclaim. 
I'm really excited to talk to you about it. But before we get into any of that, we got to stop here right now because where that goes to next week is it goes someplace really hard, really challenging. And um, guys, life with Jesus is better than you can imagine. It's better than anyone has ever told you. There is nothing greater that this world has to offer than walking with Jesus. But he never said it was easy. It's hard. It's the best, but it's hard. Saying yes to him always, no matter what, it's hard. And so next week, I'm going to put something in front of you that goes, hey, maybe the Lord is calling us to do something like this. But before we can even get there, we've got to have a, a, a time for choosing. Do I, do I surrender to the King of glory? Will I go the way that he sends me? Will I say yes, no matter what? And I remind you what we read um, in the Jeremiah 9 text where he said, you know, there's a time that's coming where the religious externalities, the religious stuff that's just on the outside but doesn't reflect what's going on on the inside, that stuff is all going to melt away and where we really stand will become clear. Now, I want us to be in a place where we, where we know, okay, our allegiances are, are clear and our hearts are exposed before the Lord. And we say, all right, I'm, I'm yours no matter what. Many, many of you have already said, man, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in no matter what. Many of you haven't forgotten. Some of you never have. You signed up for the religious stuff maybe for the savior stuff who would say who would say no to heaven over hell or you know whatever forgiveness over kind of course but have you bowed your knee to the king of 